0: A lot of times when babies are sunny side up, uh, the healthcare professionals are very quick to kind of say, you know what, let's just go in and and have a C-section because it's so much harder for you to actually deliver vaginally. But my team was like, you wanna keep doing this? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, all right, The, the second that your stats or the baby stats, like they drop or anything happens, like that's when we're gonna intervene. But they really just allowed me to push through it and I mean, I pushed. I pushed for four and a half hours. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. It was so hard.
1: Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach physiotherapist, and fitness coach, also known as the passionate physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations, where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hey friends, I'm so excited to dive into this episode with Sarah, but I did want to put out a trigger warning. Um, in case you're pregnant and listening to this, we uh, will be talking about pregnancy and uh, surgery and a pregnancy um, complication. Um, everything worked out okay, but in case putting it out there, you may not want to listen to this episode if you are currently in a pregnancy state or uh, your mental health. It just um, isn't ready for that. So, Let's get into it. Hello friends. Welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. And I'm so excited to bring you today one of, of my very special guests, Sarah Putt. So Sarah and I met last year, December 2020, at a meeting with the Movement Maestro, and we had both joined the Mafia, which is her monthly membership, and we connected. Sarah was pregnant at the time. I am a physiotherapist and a pregnancy and postpartum fitness coach, and it just kind of worked out, and we even had the fortune of working together through one of my postpartum return to exercise programs where I helped Sarah get back to getting active, postpartum Postpartum. But let me talk to you about Sarah. So Sarah is an occupational therapist. She's the creator of OT for Life, which is an amazing account on Instagram and business to help um, bring awareness to occupational therapy, which is not that well known for a lot of people. She is an entrepreneur and private practice owner specializing in early intervention, and she'll talk a bit more about that too. She is a podcaster. She's an epic podcaster. She has over 100 episodes in her own podcast, and I want to actually ask you a question about that too. I have so many questions for you. (laughs) Um, And she's also pretty cool. She's a world traveler and a craft beer enthusiast. So welcome on the Mom Strength podcast, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to be here, and yeah, just... Chat with you today. I know, me too. I'm so pumped. Um, so, why don't we start by you telling me a little bit about you and your pregnancy and your journey into becoming a mom?
0: Yeah, just over my years of working in pediatrics and specifically working with babies and working with the little ones, I'd, I'd have to say, like, I mean, to be completely honest with you, it took a lot for me to actually start thinking about maybe I could have a kid of my own. My husband had been wanting to have kids since the day we met, you know, the years before we <laughs> he was met. ready. Like, He's like, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah. He was ready. And I was just like, this is what I do all day. And yeah. I walk into some very, very difficult situations. And I was always just kind of like, I'm-, I'm not there. I'm I I don't know if I'll ever get there, and it really took a lot for me to actually. I don't even know if I could say I, I was ready <laughs> when yeah. I first found out that I was pregnant, uh, but it it really the the work that I do really does influence or, and did influence and continues to influence how I am as a mom, and especially during my pregnancy journey. And now my daughter is seven and a half months old. And yeah, oh I mean, goodness. it's it's always kind of at the forefront of what I do, how I interact with her. But yeah, I mean, that that's really like kind of taking it back to the beginning. It took me years, years and years and years to kind of get to the point of like, maybe I could do this, even though at
1: that point, I probably don't think I even got to that point. <laughs> And so this is really interesting too, because oftentimes we assume it's the woman that's ready and the man that's like not yet ready to be a dad, but it's flipped in your situation. And it's also really interesting because your job and your, your your career influences that because you're seeing kids all the time, you know, in that young age group, seeing really difficult situations with families. And you know that that is a potential for anyone having a child. And what's interesting is that so many people you know, when they have a child, we all expect our children to be like Olympic athletes and like grade A students. Like we expect the best of everything in our heads, but like what we get is what we get. And we have to accept the child in front of us. And I think that a lot of people don't even have a clue that there's such a huge spectrum of children that you can, you know, birth. Um, So you, and you finally did decide, or you surprised yourself and (laughs) was pregnant. Um, Tell me about your pregnancy journey. Uh, I mean, honestly, like for the
0: most part, kind of reflecting back on it, like everything went up up until a point, And I know we'll get to that, but everything went really smoothly outside of my own emotions and kind of keeping my own therapy brain in check. Like, like mm-hmm. I mentioned before, it was constantly like, wait, is this okay? Can I eat this? Can I move this way? Can I, can I lay on this side? Do I have to lay on this side? Like, I mean, I, I would overanalyze everything that I was
1: consuming, <laughs> that I was doing, that I was thinking. like This reminds me of my first pregnancy too. It's <laughs> okay. like the therapy brain. You're just like obsessed over like every little thing. And I'm like, I wish I didn't know this information right like <laughs> now, but I do. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's
0: silly, but like something as simple as, yes, I'm a podcaster and I edit my own shows. And so typically before I was pregnant, I would just put on my headphones and I'd, I'd go to work and like I'd be editing. And then once I got pregnant, I was like, You know, like they say that you should expose your baby, even in the womb, to as much language as possible. So, like, I just like unplugged my headset and I was like, "You're gonna listen to me edit my podcast right here." (laughs) But like, something as simple and like silly as that, that I'm like, I don't need to analyze this right now. But here I am, and this is what I'm doing. So yeah, I mean, it really like. Everything everything went pretty smoothly. It was really more for me kind of navigating my professional lens while also kind of going through the it personally as as a mom. And the the one thing that really kind of sticks out to me is that I was 36 when I got pregnant with my daughter, Abigail. And of course, you know, that puts me in the higher risk category of advanced maternal age. And I hate saying that. And I love the fact that my doctor never considered me at high risk because she was like, you're active, you're healthy, like everything's good. Age is just a number. So Mm -hmm. if there is anybody that falls into that category or thinks that they're too old, like age is just a number. As long as you're taking care of yourself, like You you can do hard things regardless of of how old you actually are. Mm -hmm. And so the the, the really kind of interesting or one of the interesting portions and stories that comes to mind throughout my pregnancy was because I was in the high risk category, uh, my OB was like, you know, if you want, you don't have to, but if you want, you can go through genetic testing. And of course, here comes my professional lens in here. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. I must know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was really interesting. Actually, there's a couple different interesting parts about this story. But me being a healthcare professional and working in the area that I do, and then my husband, he is not. He's not medical. He's not healthcare. He is like a numbers guy. So we go into this like genetic counselor's appointment and she's sitting there and she's like talking about ratios and percentages and like all these numbers. And like I could just tell my husband's like, oh, yeah, oh, I, I get that. And I get that. Oh, like the, you know, the false negative rate and this and that. I, I don't even, I don't even remember at this point. <laughs> and like, he was all about that. And then she kind of started talking about different diagnoses and different conditions and things that they were going to be screening for and like literally like went through this list of different things. And I was like, I've worked with a kid. Oh, that's so-and-so. I was able to pair a name or multiple names and faces with every single diagnosis and condition that she mentioned except for one there was one. And I like, of course, afterwards, like went home, started researching that. And I was like, "Oh, okay, well, it starts presenting like adulthood, adulthood. So of course, I wouldn't know that necessarily off, like right off the bat. But it was so interesting to kind of have the two of us where like, I knew, I had the stories, I had the experience, I had the families, I had the names of the kids, I, I could think about, you know, little Johnny that, this is what we were working on, and and he had this condition. And then there's my husband that's like, oh, the numbers and this, and oh, it's so rare and blah blah blah, you know, and like kind of that juxtaposition of the yeah. two of us. He has going like the perspective of the like
1: context of like, oh yeah, here are the realistic numbers, and yeah. you're like, but I, all I hear are the diagnoses. And... <laughs> I know that's so hard, and and that's different too in the states. So in Canada, when you it's genetic testing is highly optional and it's recommended maybe for people who have like a history or genetic, you know, family ties to any conditions. Um, and yes, I, I do agree. I think it's like above a certain age, they may recommend it more. Um, and it's a special test that, which one did you have? It was it like an amniocentesis? No, I didn't work? do,
0: I didn't do that one. It was all blood work.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But have I did those like options here. I don't think. Okay. I think, yeah. it's, I ours think you was only like, have that option if you're like, yeah, there's like, it's public funded healthcare yeah. here. So it's just different. Yeah. Um. But yeah, tell me about. So then, after that, after that, you know, or that was probably in your earlier pregnancy, am I right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, right around
1: twelve weeks is when that happened. And, and so everything was normal, and you felt like, okay, this is good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was able to kind of like that was able to like ease my mind a little bit and just be like, yeah. okay, all right, take a deep breath, and really that that whole portion, especially the the early on in my pregnancy, but honestly, it was it was throughout my entire pregnancy is that I really, I really had to just learn to embrace those feelings of like, this is me. This is who I am. This is my training. This is my profession. This is, this is like, there's so many things that are all kind of all encompassing right now, but it's okay. I'm going to embrace those feelings and I'm going to take it one day at a time. And I really had to I had to do that. Otherwise, I would just kind of start spinning my wheels and I would, you know, go down the rabbit hole of Dr. Google and like, what's going Mm -hmm. on and what's happening and what is this a sign of? And I really just had to be like, one day, going to get through today, then we're going to get to get through tomorrow and it's perfectly fine. And honestly, like like I said, this was all me and this was all mental. This was not anything like phys- physiological. There was nothing going on. It was just me adapting to kind of this new role of being pregnant and
1: being a mom. And I love that you said that because it is great advice for anyone who's pregnant, who's having either a challenging pregnancy or going through all these scary thoughts in their head. You know, Take it one day at a time because you that's all you can control and so much is out of your control because you're growing in a separate human being that's not you and you know your your two bodies are meshed together for you know during the pregnancy but then it, it even sticks postpartum where you have very little control over so many things and you just have to take it one day at a time um and that I think that's amazing and i remember myself feeling though I never worked in pediatrics, it's just, you know, when you're in healthcare, you know the risks and you know that like, okay, my life may look like this. I also worked with very, very high needs um, children with autism in their teens when I was in, like, you know, when I was younger, you know, I did summer camps and stuff. So I was like, okay, like if my child is like this, like, am I prepared for this, right? Because most people would not even know or to think about that, but I, I knew and I was like, okay, like, you have to be okay with whatever situation happens. And I think that it can be really hard when you are hormonal and emotional. And and so tell me, were you working one-on-one with clients or in their homes during this entire time? Because I know you run a practice too. So do you have people working for you? How does that work? So that's
0: actually a great point and question to bring up here because there was a lot happening (laughs) during this time. So if we back up to... Summer July of 2020, my husband accepted a job in a new state. So I do live in the US. I was living in California at the time and he accepted a job and we moved up to Washington. So July 2020, we move up to Washington. And actually kind of up until that point, uh, I knew that because of the move, I was like, I'm going to kind of taper back my my clients and my one-on-one workload because I knew that the move was going to be a lot. We were going to have to find a place to live. And with him working full-time, I knew a lot of that was going to fall on me. So I should also back up even more because <laughs> there's there's stuff that happened before this <laughs> that kind of <laughs> leads up to it. So like I had mentioned kind of at the beginning of us talking, my work the the emotionality of my practice and what I was doing really started to get to me. And I don't know if it's, I think it's a combination of all of this, but getting closer to childbearing age, whatever that is, right? But like getting older, getting closer to the 35 mark where that puts you into the higher risk category, knowing that my husband wanted to have kids since, you know, forever ago. <laughs> Every year I would get older and every year I would get exposed to more and more cases and families and stories. And over t- over the time like i just realized that it was starting to actually really affect me personally and so in the summer i would say late summer of 2019 my husband and i actually took like a 6 month sabbatical and i i was still running my practice but i wasn't seeing clients he had quit his job and we went and again this is pre-pandemic but we went and we we traveled europe for 3 months and we road tripped to across the US and back. So all in all it was about That's 5 incredible. to 6 months. What? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, and really one of the big things was for me to separate from my work at that point because I had been so invested, so just emotionally tied to everything that was happening that I really needed to take a step back. Not from my company per se, but like from the direct client the care direct one-on-one.
1: One. Yeah. Yeah, It exactly. can be – for those listening who aren't in healthcare, healthcare can be very draining because we're, we get into it because we're caring. We really want the best for people. We want to help people. Um, and it's – you know, we talk about empathy, being cognitive empathy, and then I think the other one's like emotional empathy. And it's really hard to separate the two because sometimes you're like, I, I want to just feel for you without feeling with you, but it's very, very challenging to separate that when you're in it and you're seeing it day in and out. And I do think that it affects you differently when you are – Like everything affected me differently during pregnancy. It's like you have a hyper, hype, or heightened sensitivity to make connections in your brain that you never would have otherwise. And I actually think it's like, it's like a superpower when you're pregnant. You can just think on a whole different level, or even when you're considering pregnancy, it's like our brains just go into a different level, and we're like, kind of able to see the big picture. So when you came back from your travels. I guess that was probably the start of covid, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, we got back January of 2020. Okay,
1: and so just before,
0: right before. I mean, yeah. and and we happened to be in Venice, Italy like weeks before it just kind of like the covid numbers just spiked and everything. Yeah, like wow. I mean, we we literally just got like right out of of Europe right before it got really really bad. And so we came back, we were living in just kind of like a temporary rental for that point because we had all these other travel plans. We were going to go to South America for the summer and all this. So we were back in LA for like 3 months, which we thought. And then my husband got this job opportunity that he couldn't pass up, and so a couple of months later, a couple of months later we moved up to Washington. And within 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 a month, 3 3 to 4 weeks I became pregnant. So there was a lot <laughs> happening all of That's this time. That's a lot
1: of change. <laughs> a was incredible a amount of change.
0: Oh, yeah. And like, there was some big things happening with my company, too. So it was just like, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy time wow. for me. And so to, to go back to your question of like, was I actually seeing clients during this time? I had... Really, I well, I stopped completely while I was traveling. Then I had started doing some evaluations, but like very, very part time up upon arrival. But then when we moved, I I said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to see any one on one treatments or anything right now. Let's get settled, and then I'll start again. And then when I became pregnant, I was like, you know what, I think this is a sign. I'm just going to yeah. continue to just take this time, focus on the pregnancy and focus on running and doing more admin for my company rather than doing the direct work as well. So at that point, I had one employee that was full-time with me. And as of now, I have two employees, one that is more part-time and one that is full-time.
1: And Amazing. I'm still not seeing clients. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I think that it also speaks to the dichotomy of pregnancy and how people are Like, there's so many different experiences within pregnancy because there's this push of, like, let's treat women equally. Let's treat pregnant people equally, you know, in the workplace. But we're also creating an entire human. Like, we need to respect that our bodies are doing incredible things even when we're just sitting there at a work meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And. I found that same experience with my first versus second pregnancy. My first was incredibly stressful. I was working like 40 hours a week, sometimes 8 p.m. at night, next next day, back in the clinic at 7 a.m. That's not conducive to a healthy pregnancy. And, you know, the shift work, the constant on your feet all day, working with clients, it takes a lot of mental and emotional energy as well. And then my second time around, it was during COVID and I was working from home. I was working virtually and my mental health and my physical health during that pregnancy was so much better. And I really think that I – i back then, I didn't even realize that I needed to honor my own body and my pregnancy more and maybe decrease my shifts at work. That was never even a thought in my head. And if somebody is listening, you don't have to be a hero and like push through and like be doing the exact same things as before. And it doesn't mean you're any less of a person because you are literally growing a human being. And I think that if men were doing this, there would be so much more respect for every single thing. And we sometimes we just downplay it. We're like, oh, I'm so lazy. I'm lying on the couch. I'm like, you're not lazy. You're pregnant. Like that's (laughs) – your energy is low because you're pregnant. And I really like that you brought that up. And I think it's so great that you have options within your company and how you've set it up to be able to do that so you're not, you know – rushing back in and stressing yourself out while you're also caring for a young baby. Um, Now, tell me about what happened during your later pregnancy. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: So like I had mentioned previously, for the first two trimesters into my last trimester, everything had been going well. Like, nothing to report home about, doctor's appointments, everything was going well. Like, yeah, I mean, I had some nausea and whatever, fatigue, and kind of the typical pregnancy symptoms, but nothing, nothing major. And then one morning, and I will forever remember this day over, over a day, uh, I woke up and it was like 2.30 in the morning. It was a Thursday. And I was like, and, and I should mention, I I've always been a horrible sleeper and then when I got pregnant I'm that just sleep went out the window so for me waking up in the middle of the night wasn't odd but I woke up and I was in extreme pain and I'm like I have not had any pain I had had no spotting no nothing right so like this was weird to me and I was like you know what maybe I just slept really hard and I just need to move so I got up out of bed and I went upstairs and I was like, I'm just going to do some like gentle stretches and like kind of sit on my therapy ball and just see if like moving a little bit kind of loosens it up and and it gets better. And because I also tend to kind of overreact to things, I was like, I don't want to get my husband all worked up. If it's nothing, like, let me, let me just see, let me monitor this. <laughs> and three hours later, so now we're looking, it's about 530 in the morning. And I was trying to be respectful because my husband had to go to work that day. And yes, he's working from home, which was great and is conti- has continued to work from home. But I like, I was just, there was a lot happening in my head and I was like, okay, the pain's still there. And where was there. the pain? It was it was all over my abdomen at that point. Okay. Like I, okay. I really couldn't, I couldn't locate it specifically, and like nothing that I did made it worse, but nothing that I did made it better at that point. And so I I decided I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wake up my husband. I told him what was going on. I told him it had been about three hours, and he was like, let's just call your doctor. Let you know. Let, let's leave it up to the professionals. They'll tell us if. They want you to continue to monitor it. If they want you to come in, and so my OB was like, "You know what? I'm not sure what's going on, but why don't you just come in?" And I'll, I'll try to keep this short because I mean, a lot, a lot happened during this time. But basically, I go in, they run all sorts of tests. Everything comes back normal. All my levels, all my blood work, everything comes back 100, completely normal.
1: Baby's but I
0: baby's okay. Um, Everything's fine, but I am, I'm, I'm writhing in pain. Like I am in so much pain at this point. And they, you know, they continue to run tests and like everything looks good. At that point they did, they wanted to do three different ultrasounds to look at different things. And that part was really hard because I had to keep taking breaks because I couldn't, be laying on my back. I was so uncomfortable, but that's how, that's the position they needed me in, in order to do these ultrasounds. And so like, I think we did the first one. And then I remember being like, can I, can I have like 10 minutes? Like I'm literally laying on the ultrasound table, like crying and bawling my eyes out, like biting my tongue, just trying to like get through it, like grit through the pain and just like get through it to find out what's happening. Yeah. And you know, the lady was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break and whatnot. And I was able to get through two of them. But I wasn't able to get to the last one, and and actually the ultrasound tech was like, I I like I physically can't even make you do this because everything that I couldn't tolerate already was exactly what I needed to do to get through this last one. She's like, Oh my goodness. you're not gonna make it. So uh, at that point, they hadn't given me like given me any pain meds because they didn't know what was going on, and they're basically like, Well, like clinically everything looks normal except. You don't look normal. Like the like, the doctor would walk in and touch me, and I would basically like jump out of my skin. And they were like, "Well, we don't really know what's going on, but you know, it's probably just like constipation and some gas." Like, just just gonna say, they always
1: blame it on gas, and you're like, "This is not
0: gas." Yeah. And they're like, "You can either stay here, and like, again, they're not giving me pain meds. They're they're like, we can just monitor you here, or you can go home." And I was like. Well, if you're not going to do anything for the pain, I'd be more comfortable at home. So that was, that was probably by like noon that day. And my husband and I would go home. I try to like sleep it off. I try to, you know, eat and have a meal. And at at about, I'd say 6, 7 p.m. that night, I mean, the pain was still there. It was worse. We call the doctor back and go back into the hospital, they run more tests. And like, at this point, they're like, Oh, your white blood cell count is like, a little bit, a little bit raised, but it's like you're pregnant. And typically, your white blood cell count can be a little bit raised when you're pregnant. So they're like, everything's still looking good. They send me for an MRI that comes back clean. And they're like, we don't really know what's going on. And and now the pain has gotten worse. Like, I mean, I've, oh I've started gosh. like vomiting because of the pain. And they're like, okay, so we're going to prep you for a, a CT scan. And if we can't figure out what's going on, we're just going to open you up and have exploratory surgery, which, oh of course, my gosh. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm 32 weeks pregnant at that point. I know that, like, going through something like this, especially a major surgery, could result in, like, preterm labor, you know, all of that. There goes my professional brain spir- spiraling out of control at this point. And so they they prep me for the ct scan they send they had to send the mr mri results to the doctor that was going to do the ct scan or the tech or whoever it was and like bless this person's heart they looked at my mri scans and they go that's appendicitis Everybody else had missed it. Everybody had looked at those and they didn't even see it. And this doctor or tech, whoever it was, like, I, I, I never met them, but they were able to identify it. And within, I think, an hour and a half, I was prepped in, in emergency surgery for an appendectomy.
1: Wow. That gave <laughs> me chills. Like, I think to go through that at any time is incredibly scary And to go through that during pregnancy, like I, that's, that's incredible. And I'm so glad that person found out what it was because what is like, is appendicitis something that is more risk, more common during pregnancy? Like what is, how, how does that happen? It's so, of course I
0: did like a ton of research after we finally knew what it was and it's the most common non OB related surgery, uh, emergency surgery while being pregnant. Okay. So, but again, like it doesn't happen all that often. And even when I was talking to the surgeon afterwards, he was like, oh, like we do appendectomies all the time. We don't do appendectomies on pregnant women all that often. I've never heard anybody (laughs)
1: else have that. So, you know, it's, that's incredible. So how was it you know, how that was emergency C- or not C-section yeah. emergency appendectomy. So it was quick. You probably didn't have time to really mentally prepare. And what happened afterward? Were you allowed to go home? Were you being monitored for a long time?
0: So yeah, I mean, just quickly, once once I identified what it was, it it was really strange because again, I knew professionally what the risks were. And here my husband and I are like really trying to navigate this where they're saying like, you could be going home with a baby today, right? Like if, if this surgery doesn't go as planned, like we're definitely going to pay attention to the baby. And if, if, if they are having any difficulties, like we're going to go in and get them out. And I think I knew that like, I wasn't going to make it at the, like, at the stage in the stage that I was like, I was in so much pain. Like I don't wish that pain, that feeling on anybody, like even my worst enemies. I hope nobody has to go through that. And I remember just kind of like looking at my husband and just being like, I I know this is, this isn't what we wanted. Nobody wants to go through an emergency surgery. Nobody wants to be put on morphine and all these like heavy duty painkillers. Cause at that point they had started me on pain meds. Um, But I just, I knew, I was like, I have to put my faith in the doctors and the, and the medical team right now and just trust that they're going to do what's best and we'll figure it out from there. And I mean, I'm, I still kind of get a little choked up thinking about that because it was very, it was, it was a trauma. It was very traumatic for both me, for my husband. And honestly, like, I, I think even my baby like felt it, you know, she might never remember it or anything, but I think she definitely knew that there was something going on Yeah and, yeah I really just kind of like went into this like stoic mindset of just like
1: it's okay what I need to do
0: yeah yeah this this is how we're going to get through it and fortunately the surgery went really well they were able to complete it laparoscopically I have four I'd say minimal scars kind of in like the shape of a of a uh, of a diamond on my abdomen. <laughs> the other thing I should mention, and and one of the reasons it was so hard to diagnose was because typically your appendix is in your lower right quadrant of your abdomen. So when people go in and they have pain in the lower right quadrant of their abdomen, they're like, oh, appendicitis. Well, like I mentioned previously, the pain was all over. I couldn't localize it. When they actually went in, my appendix was basically kind of up under my right rib cage because shoved right, right <laughs> up. Yeah. Oh my god. That's where everything is up there. And fortunately, I think actually being pregnant actually like saved my life because it kind of like pushed everything together and like shoved it into this little like I don't know my like, Shoved it into this Corner. area, <laughs> yeah, and like my appendix had burst, it had like crystallized like there were a lot of things going on, but because of the size of the uterus and being thirty two weeks pregnant, I, I i don't I don't even know how to explain it, but everything, everything worked out okay. I was in the hospital for one night after that, I think. So the night of the surgery, I went in. So basically, I woke up at 2.30 that morning, right? My surgery was at about 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. the following the morning. Day. So yeah, 26, 27 hours later. And yeah, so I think I spent one more night in in the hospital just for monitoring. And then after that, like, It was, again, some of the worst pain that I've ever been through, Uh, like just being 32 weeks pregnant and then going through this surgery. Like it was just it was just a lot. And I went from being extremely active. I was walking five plus miles every single day. I was doing prenatal yoga. I was I mean, I was I was doing as much as I could have in my last trimester besides, you know, running marathons or anything like that. But I had the surgery and like, I mean, I could barely get out of bed by myself. I couldn't put my shoes on by myself. I could not put socks on. Like there, I I couldn't bathe myself. I literally went from like being super independent and super active to like, I can't do anything. And it was very hard for me to basically be recovering from that surgery while also getting more and more pregnant and getting closer to my due date with every day. So I'd like start to like feel better from my surgery, but then it was like I I am now, you know, a week further along in my pregnancy, my belly is bigger, you're bigger and so bigger, you're yeah. Yeah, like my scars would are my my incisions would start to heal and then they'd start to stretch and then they'd start to heal and then they'd start to stretch because it was like this whole I mean between 32 weeks and 37 weeks when my daughter was actually born, like I'm healing but also like I mean, that is a huge time in your pregnancy that you are growing and changing
1: and there's lots Which of things We add so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You are incredible. That's, you know what? I also love that you use the word like stoic. I I totally get that. It's like you, it's sometimes it's like a motherhood thing. It's like, you're right. I can't control this. This is what needs to happen. This is what's best for me and my child and I'm going to do this and I feel like it really shows how strong women are even when they're pregnant. And I think, honestly, you become a mother even before you become pregnant. It's like a – it's a mental shift. You you change the way you think. You're not thinking just for yourself anymore. You're thinking for two people. Mm-hmm. And it's so incredibly powerful. And how did your um, birth go? And how how was that? Because you said 37 weeks. Was that expected? Mm-hmm. Was that planned? Or was that – she just arrived then.
0: <laughs> so one, like one little thing before I get into that, I think because of my my hesitancy, my nervousness, my professional lens tainting my personal lens, like everything that I've kind of talked about, like throughout my pre-pregnancy and then the the early pregnancy journey. I really think that the surgery was kind of the turning point. Like as, as weird as this is going to sound, it was the turning point of when I actually really connected with my baby because at that point, like up until that point, it was like, oh yeah, I'm pregnant. Okay. Like, yeah, great. But at that point it was like, okay, are you good? I'm good. Okay. You're good. Okay. Together we're good. Like we just went through something super crazy and traumatic together. And I just remember like, that was really like the turning point of like, yeah, I am bringing somebody else into this world, and it, it is not just about me anymore. And I think I mean, the like I said, like just the, those those last couple uh, weeks was just getting ready and preparing. and then, yeah, she was she was not planned to come early, even though the the OB like kept saying like she was measuring big. So like I think we kind of expected her to come early. but not at 37 weeks, five days. But yeah, she just decided that she was done. She, ready. she was ready. She was like, I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yep. <laughs> and I basically, I, I went into labor and, oh gosh, I mean, here like <laughs> here's a whole nother story. But uh, I think also, before I get into that, another thing I'll point out is going through the surgery was actually like a test run of like going through labor because I figured out where I needed to go in the hospital. I met like the triage team and I got familiar with like what it actually looks like to be an OB triage. And like, I, I, I just had this test run of like what it takes to be in kind of an emer- emergency situation to like get to the hospital and, and really what it looks like. So at the time that I went into labor, it was just kind of like, okay. I mean, and, and part of me, I think thought that I was in labor, but like, oh, like they'll call us in and then they're going to send us home. Like, you know, you hear about that where people go in and then they go home and then they go in and then they go home. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think part of me was like, that's what's going to happen. And I remember just kind of being like, I was talking to my mom on the phone and I was like, oh, hold on. I remember like telling my husband, like, talk, talk to my mom for a second. Like I gotta, I gotta breathe through whatever is happening. I didn't realize that it was my first contraction at that point. And, you know, hung out at home for a couple hours and then we started tracking them and we noticed that it was getting closer and closer. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's make dinner, <laughs> let's have a big meal. Okay. That That's a tip for anybody that is pregnant that has not gone through a pregnancy yet. Try to eat a big meal before you go to the hospital if you can, if that is within your pregnancy plan. I understand if you know you have other factors, but once you get there, you might not be able to eat for a long time. So have a big hearty meal if you if you can stomach that and take a shower if you can do that too. That was mm-hmm. something that I was like, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to have a big meal so I can go in and I'm, I'm comfortable at that moment because who knows how long it's going to be till both of those can actually happen again. And yeah, basically, like, got admitted, uh, got my epidural, and it was over 24 hours of labor. My daughter was sunny side up. And Mm. I, fortunately, I had an amazing medical like birth team and I think a lot of times at least in what I've heard that a lot of times when babies are sunny side up uh the healthcare professionals are very quick to kind of say you know what let's just go in and and have a c-section because it's so much harder for you to actually deliver vaginally but my team was like you want to keep doing this and I was like yeah and they're like all right the the second that your stats or the baby stats like they drop or anything happens, like that's when we're going to intervene. But they really just allowed me to push through it. And I mean, I pushed, I pushed for four and a half hours. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And it was ridiculous. It was so hard, but I was able to deliver vaginally. And despite her being sunny side up and them trying to flip her and, you know, doing all the things, no, i I was able to kind of push through it and and deliver her that way. And yeah, I mean, and then everything at that moment was it <laughs> was
1: good. Life is, yeah, life's changed forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I think the it's so true. If you have a birth team that's supportive of you and you feel safe and supported in that moment, you are powerful. You're unstoppable. Yep. And but we hear so many stories of women that are not supported in their birth plan and said, you know what? I know we want to try, but too bad we're doing this because this is what's best for us. And mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I'm biased, but I think it happens more in Canada because of the public health care system and people are – they get paid more for C-sections. They get they, – they don't want to just wait around because they're like, okay, you get we get you in and out faster than I get the next person in and out. And there's not that same level of like attention to client-centered care in some ways because they can get away with it because they're already – you know, one bad reputation is not going to stop them from making money versus in the states where it's privatized, you know, that can really make it or break it for, for a healthcare worker. So I I see benefits to both sides and mm-hmm. I definitely noticed that in, in OB and in um, labor and birth that there is a big impact that that makes. Yeah. So tell me about your postpartum experience with Abigail and um, how – how you've been since because she's, what, seven and a half months? Mm -hmm. I know, which is crazy because, I mean, when we met,
0: like, I was was basically halfway through my pregnancy when you and I first met. And (laughs) I remember, like, connecting with you and being like, I know I have a long way to go in my pregnancy, but like, I'm so ready to get back to get back to my normal, get back to me of like, get back to being active and being able to do things again, because I have always been an active person. And then during my pregnancy, especially the first trimester really wasn't able to do much. And then especially during the last trimester, wasn't able to do much. And so it's it's a lot of this transition. And for anybody out there that has been super active and now has found themselves not being able to get back to that, it can really kind of take a toll on, on you physically and also mentally, right? Like our, our mental health and our physical health is so in intertwined that if you're not moving physically, you're not going to feel good. And mentally, you're not going to feel good either. And so I think I started with you at like weeks, uh, like week five, it was like the yeah, week before I had even postpartum. been cleared. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And this is what I always say is like, you know, I I think it's highly unrealistic. For so for vaginal births, I say you can start with me at about as early as you want, first of all, but usually around three to four weeks if it's an uncomplicated birth. If you have a fourth degree tear, third degree tear, you need, you know, have an infection, something happens, obviously that's gonna delay your healing time. And for cesarean births, again, uncomplicated, around five weeks or so, four to five to six weeks. And the reason When your doctor clears you for exercise, they're assuming it's exercise, but in the first six weeks, you're already carrying your baby, you're lifting her up, you're bending, you're squatting, you're lifting car seats, you are going for long walks, you are getting in and out of bed. All of that is movement. All of that is exercise for an early postpartum person. So why not show them how to do it in a way that's safe, that that makes them feel strong and comfortable? and teaches them that they have control over their days when you know they're sleep deprived and stressed and all that other stuff he gives them those small wins during their day gives them little bursts of movement bursts of endorphins and that's that's why i said yes you can start earlier um, and I'm not getting you to do jumping jacks. To right. You know, it's like we're starting with the basics and the foundations. So, tell me about how your experience was with with that. With prep, prep is my postpartum return to exercise program. For those of you who are listening, I loved it.
0: I thought it was exactly what I needed because, I mean, I work in healthcare. I'm very active. I've done tons of, you know, very specialized like gym memberships, and so like. I know, even though I'm not a PT, I I know a lot about the body. I know a lot about movement, but I don't know a lot about how pregnancy and then postpartum can affect that and and the changes that happen. So it was, for me, it was exactly what I needed because it, it, it took the guesswork out of what I needed to focus on and what I could and couldn't do. I, like, I'm very good at you know, going into YouTube and finding a workout video and being like, yep, this is what I'm going to do today. But at that point, I'm like, can I do this movement? Is this movement okay? Like, I, I really didn't know the impacts of, of what was going to be okay, besides, of course, like reading your body signs. But going through that was, well, a, it was really cool, because there were women that were kind of all throughout different stages of their postpartum uh, journey. So getting to connect with people that had, you know, given birth a couple months ago, a couple years ago, like it was really cool to kind of hear their stories of like what has been going on. But I know for me, it was super important that I started as soon as I, as soon as I possibly could, because the sooner that I could get back to, any sort of movement and any sort of exercise in a very safe way, I knew that that was going to have one of the biggest impacts for me. And then, of course, because it's helping me, I knew it was going to be helping my daughter as well. And also instilling in her like, this is what we do. Like we we get up and we do some
1: sort of exercise every day. Like it's very, very important. So I love <laughs> that you said that too because it's instilling – it's setting that example that I don't have to wait for time to be perfect before I take care of myself or before I move my body because there is no perfect time and you're moving your body anyways. You might as well make it intentional, might as well make it something that's going to strengthen you. Uh, and I did find it find it was cool because the the session the round that you did you were the earliest postpartum and I think there was somebody who was close to two years postpartum or mm-hmm. you know eighteen months or longer and because they hadn't done anything yet they hadn't done any intentional exercise they were almost in the same stage of recovery as you even though you were only five weeks postpartum and. That that's why I think that when we just look at timelines and we don't look at the big picture and we don't look at, okay, what has this person been doing since they've had a baby? Have they been moving? And I remember, you know, you were getting back to long walks again, way faster than maybe somebody else. And we never want to compare journeys because everyone is different. You might have started off with a higher baseline physical fitness than maybe somebody else. But also you got to start earlier because you knew that it was important for your mental health and your physical health. Some people have no idea that movement is so important for their mental health until they stop moving their bodies after they have babies. And then their mental health tanks, their physical health tanks, and they're wondering, they blame themselves. They're like, Mm -hmm. I'm not motivated. I'm lazy. I gained all this weight. How come, you know, what's wrong with me? But it's like, let's just start building in those small little habits to kind of get you feeling like yourself again. Um, without, you know, being addicted to movement or like going all all in, you know, waking up at three in the morning to exercise, like that is not what we recommend at all. Uh, And I like that you said, you know, listening to your body as well. So what is your, you know, what are your favorite types of things to do right now? I know you mentioned travel and and beer and I have been following you on Instagram and watching your weekend getaways um, to craft beer, breweries. (laughs) Yeah. um, I
0: mean – I, I love to move and I think that's been one of the harder things to navigate raising a child is that I don't have the the time that I used to to be able to do, what exactly what i used to do like i i love going for a long walk and actually when my daughter was first born i mean i'd pop her in the stroller and we'd we'd go to town and we'd you know do whatever but now that she's getting a little more mobile she doesn't really want to be in that stroller very long so no. those walks have definitely had to shorten cuz otherwise she's like screaming by the end of it and i'm like okay this is not <laughs> worth it but you know i really just try to embed any any sort of movement, whether it's walking, whether it's yoga, again doing like YouTube workouts or anything like that. I'd love to get back to the gym, but it's you know with, with COVID and then what's happening mm-hmm. there. There's just a lot of other factors, and especially because I have to be taking care of my daughter as well. Uh, but I I love to travel. I am I'm huge into that, and that has been also really hard too over the past what year and a half two years or whatever because I haven't been able to travel Mm -hmm. as much especially internationally and one of the big things that I like to do when I do travel is go to the craft breweries and really just I don't know it's it's a great way to meet locals that are also kind of they're they're interested and enthusiastic about beer and learn about how, especially when I'm traveling internationally, like learn about how they brew their beer. What are some of the things that maybe they do the same or they do differently? Or like, how do they utilize some local ingredients? Oh my and... gosh, you're a connoisseur. <laughs> I, I didn't realize you were that. It, yeah, was, oh <laughs> that's yeah. That's incredible. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like- Have you ever grown your own
1: or brewed your own beer? Uh, yes. I do? mean,
0: combined with my husband, I haven't done it all by myself. We, we have brewed two different batches, it, it did that process has really <laughs> taught me the value of good beer and that you know what it's you're like worth this is why i pay for yeah. money <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that like when we travel we always will just like google like hey local local craft breweries in Very cool. Belgium in portugal in Estonia in Rome, like wherever we are, we always find these local breweries. And it's really cool because they like, if you think about like breweries and like wineries and vineyards, like vineyards tend to be on these like rolling hills and they're these beautiful, just like sprawling gardens and whatnot. Breweries end up in these like weird industrial parts of town where you're like walking or driving and you're like, I don't know where we are. This looks sketchy. Yes. But (laughs) then you like walk into these breweries and you're like, these – these are amazing. Like, I'm so glad that I got out of that, the, the tourist area. And here I am in this like random kind of sketchy neighborhood, but the breweries is <laughs> like
1: absolutely amazing. It's like pizza and beer, right? Like I'm picturing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And what's your first place that you want to travel to that's outside the U.S. when you, when you can?
0: Uh, the first, uh, that's a really good question. I feel like my, my top three, I, I don't know if this will be the first, <laughs> but like the top three places that I really want to get to these days would be Nepal, Norway, and New Zealand. Like I, I don't know what it is about the N the the, the N, N, N countries.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I want to go through all, through all those places too. <laughs> yeah. I, we were actually so we were gonna maybe book we were thinking between Norway and Portugal when my daughter um was before she turned two, we're like free flight, well, let's go somewhere. And then of course COVID hit. So we're like forget it. We can't go anywhere. Yeah. But I've always wanted to go there too. Um Portugal and I is feel amazing. like amazing Absolutely. I've, I've, I've been so, a couple
0: times. And if I, you know, if I had to go back to any of the places I've been before, like Portugal is one of my absolute favorite
1: countries ever. So. <laughs> we'll definitely have to go because now my son is one. He's like 14 months almost. I'm like, we better go somewhere before he turns two too. Because, <laughs> you know, flights, they yeah. get expensive, uh, especially not for a family of four. So yeah. tell me about your podcast because- I remember hearing your story. I'd love for you to share that about your, you know, your, your, you know, leading into your podcast and how maybe you were never the person who thought you could do it, and how you how you got to do it. So
0: I feel I'm like I encrypt ever- it because
1: I know what I want you to, to tell me, but I hope that you. <laughs>
0: I hope I that you, you get it.
1: Okay, I got okay, you, I got you.
0: <laughs> I, I think with like, I feel like every question you ask, I'm like, hold on, I need to back up before I can actually answer <laughs> the that. The backstory before the story, <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Because I, growing up, I was a very, very shy child. I was so shy that many people thought that I didn't talk. I was the type of person that when I got to college. I would avoid the classes that had public speaking as a component. Like I would see it and be like, do I have to take that one? This one doesn't have a pub- public speaking. Great. I'm going to take that one. I, I know I had to take one speech class in college and you had to, like it was a requirement. There was no way around it. And I remember like getting up on stage and like holding my paper flashcards. And like, I was shaking so much that you could not hear my voice over the shaking of the paper oh, that I was not, like not holding much. in my hand. Wow. And I was just traumatized from that experience. And so many others, like I just, I absolutely hated public speaking. And, you know, like, like you just mentioned, like, I am a podcaster now, which a lot of people are like, I, I don't get that. Like, how, how do you go from the, the shyest of shy who hates public speaking to now like, that's what, that's what I do. Like I show up. Well, and I you're use incredible my voice. because I've
1: listened to some <laughs> of your podcasts and you just flow. you can just talk. and nobody would expect that, like backstory, not like listening to you now. And I that's why I want you to share that because I feel like a lot of people have these um stories they tell themselves that I'm a shy person or I'm um a lazy person or I'm not organized or whatever stories we have. And maybe it was true back then. But it doesn't always have to be true. So what, I guess, was the transition point or the the turning point that helped you say, like, no, I want to do this and I, I'm going to get past my, you know, nerves or fears? I think
0: I was just tired of hiding and tired of, like, shying away from something that shouldn't be scary. Like, yes, to this point, I, I get nervous before all of my interviews and I get nervous before I turn on my mic. But, like, I've learned to just embrace those nerves and like let it fuel me to like push me out of my comfort zone than in the past where I would have allowed it to like basically just demolish Mm -hmm. me and like I wouldn't be able to push past it and yeah like I honestly like I just got tired of of being that shy person and again like I feel like Starting my podcast was probably one of the best things that I could have done personally and professionally because it really did allow me to start to understand the power of voice and the power of showing up. And showing up as yourself, you never know exactly who need, who needs to hear what you have to say. You might and I'm I'm saying globally, like whoever is listening to this, you might think that nobody Nobody cares. Nobody needs to hear. Nobody needs to know your story. But until you actually share your story, you're never gonna know who who actually can resonate, who that that in that moment or who is going through something, or who maybe down the road might be going through something that you talk about. And then they can be like, wow, I remember hearing about this on a podcast or, you know, whatever it is. And I think, yeah, I just I, I really was like, I'm I'm done. I'm done running. I'm just, I'm going to face it head on. And it's it's a continue, like it's a kind of a continuous thing where I just continue to show up, continue to push myself and it gets easier. But yeah. I can't say that I'm like fully on the other side, but I just, I just continue to do it.
1: I think that's so special. I think it's when we, we assume that it's because you have no fears, but you have maybe some nerves, some fears, and you're going to do it anyway, because A, that's how you build confidence in doing it, by doing it. Mm -hmm. And also you're growing as a person and you're, you know, stepping into you, coming out of that kind of space of like, nobody look at me, nobody hear me. And I think that that's incredibly powerful. And it's funny because I used to be very shy as well, but I was never scared of public speaking. but I, looking back, so in, in I grew up in India and there's like each class has 60 students and you have to raise your hand, you stand up and you like have to give the answer out loud. So I got used to it at a very young age, like I'm talking like grade one, right? Like it's, and it's very academic. I got used to at a very young age, giving the answer and speaking up. And then we, we would have public speaking contests that my parents would inevitably sign up for, <laughs> sign me up for. And I was shy. I was like quiet, meek. And I would always come in second because I wasn't, like, confident speaking. There would always be the girl ahead of me who was, like, you know, bubbly and confident. And then I realized that it takes years, takes time to grow out of that. It's not like, oh, I just decided one day. I just started testing around. And I'm like, I actually have so much to say. I have so much to share. And I love that you brought that up because I found that that was a big barrier in me even getting on Instagram. in the first place is I was like, who am I to – talk about this. Like, yes, I'm a physio. Yes, I'm a coach, but like, who am I to do this? But I would read other people's stories and I'm like, that's my story. And or like I've had the same experience and and other people's comments are like, oh my God, this saved me. Thank you so much. And I'm like, wow, like story share storytelling is so powerful. Each of us has so many stories, and I think that I'm so grateful that you came on here to share your story because your journey is so interesting. You have so many different aspects of your life that are just so incredibly interesting, and each of those could be a podcast (laughs) interview by themselves. Um, And I wanted to wrap up with some final thoughts and some questions about you. And so why don't you tell me what your favorite podcast is or your favorite book is? Is it your own podcast? Uh, What are you listening to these days? Oh man. Okay. So I am
0: definitely a more of a podcast person than a book person. And clearly, I mean, when you're a podcaster, <laughs> like I hear it all the time where people are
1: like, Oh yeah, I'm a podcaster, but I don't listen to podcasts. And I was like, what? Like, how, how does that That's happen? Like me. I actually enjoy <laughs> it, but I find that you know what it is? I don't drive anywhere. I yeah. don't go for long walks. So I don't have time that's like an uninterrupted where I can listen. And when I do listen to stuff, it's gonna be like music to kind of calm me down. But I when I do listen to podcasts, I love it because it's so it's like you're hanging out with a friend and they're like talking to you, you know? It's it's very yeah. like personal. Yeah. So gosh, and I feel like
0: I like cycle through like my favorites and I'm kind of in this like transition period, but I feel like, okay, the, the three that come to mind, and you you know one of them, is Maisha on the mic. Definitely love her show. And for OT, I would say it's occupied. My buddy Brock Cook, he's Australian. He does a, an, uh, he does a podcast about occupational therapy, and it's brilliant. And then I'm also kind of a, a little bit of a – Podcast nerd, I guess you could say, and I listen to a lot of podcasts about podcasting. Like I know that's like super (laughs) meta. Uh, And my favorite that I keep going back to, it's called the the School of Podcasting. So there you
1: go. There's my top three. (laughs) Well, this is why you were like, I when I was starting my podcast, you knew everything. You were like, "Yep, do this. Make sure you have this." And you know what? I see your boom arm. Boom arm. For those of you who don't know, is like this, like arm that sticks out, attaches to your table. And I need to get all of that, but I'm like, next year, 2022, I've invested enough this year. Uh, and it makes a difference. All of these things you realize make a huge difference in making your life easier, especially for people like you who are editing your own podcast. Go listen to OT for Life. Your podcast is called OT for Life, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Or is it OT for Life podcast nope. or is it just, nope. just OT, OT for, for life. life? Yep. And Yeah, Sarah edits all her own podcasts and she has over 100 episodes. For those of you who don't know, this takes so much time. You know, people assume that it's just like, go. And one of my friends was on my podcast and she's like, can you edit this thing out after I had already edited it, published it? And I was like, listen, it will take me minimum of four hours to edit that out, republish it, do have new graphics, new like – no. I'm like, no. I'm like, nobody will notice that you stumbled on like two words. (laughs) No, Please. No, nobody um, will. No, I hope not. Anyways, okay. So, you have so what? Boom arm FOMO right now. <laughs> I oh, I have boom. I noticed that the entire time. I was like, oh, that's so handy. Just because now I'm like, I can't, I can't touch anything. Because if I touch stuff, it like hits stuff. And <laughs> listen, if you're in, if you're listening to this, you know that I'm not about perfectionism because it just doesn't exist. So thank you for embracing the random noises <laughs> in the background. Um, okay, so what are three things that you like to do for yourself every day? Big or small, just something you'd like to do for yourself. Every day? Every single day. <laughs> huh. Or oh, most days. <laughs> I was like,
0: I feel like being a parent, sometimes you can't do it every single day,
1: even if you really, really want to, like shower. Um. Oh, you're telling me I washed my hair after 15 days yesterday. 15 days. It was oh. disgusting. There are times I'm, I'm like, like I don't no know. more dry shampoo. I'm I don't like, know well, when well. the last
0: time I washed my hair was. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> uh, three things that I do for myself. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is podcasting. I, and I don't do that every day. But uh, I've, been, I've been working on trying to embed that back into my life a little bit more and adjusting again to that new routine and, and just figuring out like when I can actually do it while also still continuing to show up to take care of my daughter and be there and be present. Um, Movement. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that, like doing something, whether it is going for a walk, uh, maybe doing yoga, anything, (laughs) even if it's small, just knowing that I'm taking that time and even if like my daughter is around like she's <laughs> the past i usually try to do it in the morning and like when my husband can be around and watch her and i don't know the past couple of weeks i've had to do it kind of like towards the end of the day and i'm just like you know what like set her up with some toys she comes over she's like crawling all around like my yoga mat and i'm just like i'm just going to make it work and you know the, just make it work <laughs> the person I- the person on the video is like now breathe yeah, so listen to that silence. And I'm like, uh, it's not silent over here. Like here by, and my bounds. daughter's like, bah, 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 bah. And like <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um number three. Do
1: you drink like a coffee? Do you have a, you know, a certain do you do your hair a certain way? Like, what's something that makes you feel like you?
0: Oh, really good question. I'm I'm gonna have to think about that. I mean, I have tea every morning, but like, I don't know if like I don't know. That, I don't know if that's like super important. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it. Hmm. I
1: don't know. I'll so come back to that. So here's why end. I asked that question is because <laughs> I think that self-care can mean different things at different points of our lives. And when we're new moms, especially in that first year of postpartum, self-care is often neglected. Yep. And I want everyone to think about three small ways they can help themselves every single day. And it has to be intentional because when you're not intentionally doing it, your body doesn't know that you're doing it for self care. So if I'm just going out for a walk to pick up the mail, or, you know, I I don't know, my body is not like, oh, I'm going for a walk for myself. But if I think, I'm like, I'm going to go out for a walk for myself and I'm going to happen to pick up the mail. It's just a different mindset shift that allows us to feel like we're taking care of ourselves and allows us to feel less stressed and less like out of control that like, okay, our little, our little cute little beings are like, you know, running our lives. <laughs> yeah. But I also love what you said about movement being, you know, movement has to fit your life. Movement is not always going to look like you did like it did pre-baby. Maybe eventually it will when your kids are your kid is older and you're able to get away to the gym uninterrupted and they're more independent. But I have a one and a three and a half year old and I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Now that I own my own business, I can get away during the day and go for a climb because I've set up my work schedule to be able to do that. But yep. evenings are hard because I'm exhausted. I want to be present for my family. And you know, we we are people who own businesses and are very passionate about that but we're also passionate about being parents and i think that that is is a tough balance sometimes so yeah i want you to reflect on that and think of some way you can sneak in one more thing just for yourself and something that makes you feel like you so it's not something for me it's my Chocolate protein smoothie, which you can see right here. Um, It just tastes so good. And it's not even, I mean, yes, it's got some protein and health stuff, but it's just delicious. And it's something that it's like ritualistic for me Uh, and movement, of course, every day. And I was in a really good habit of getting outside, but November's hit and it's really been a slump. And I need to get back to that because I've been feeling the need to. So I'm going to go for a walk after this. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I get that.
1: <laughs> you get that. I know. And you live in Seattle now, right? Yeah. So what's it's the weather like there? It's rainy. Ah, it's the yeah. gray rain. It's just – and today's a sunny day. So of course today I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go outside. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the gray days I'm like, I'm going to do this instead.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I tell think, me some, I think yeah. like bottom line is like becoming a parent and and adjusting to these new roles is like just just embrace where you're at and like it's a work in progress like the fact that like I'm able to even name two of these you know five months ago I wasn't able to do that and it really is just I think every every new stage every new month every (laughs) just you continue to grow and learn and and figure out and and adapt and like learn to embed what you need and things change that like, you know, like I, I just started and I, and I didn't mention this, but like I just started to do some like coloring and I've done it one night this week. So it's definitely not a routine, but I'm like trying some new things of like, maybe, maybe I'll like this. So I think I'm trying to still figure out that number three.
1: (laughs) Awesome. And I love that. It's going to fluctuate and shift. You you are human and you're fluid and you change. And I think your needs at any given point will change. For me, it's, I was like, okay, once a week, I'm going to put coconut oil on my hair like I did when I grew up, sit in a bath. And I never do that stuff. But I'm like, I'm going to intentionally do that because I thought, I used to think it was a waste of time. (laughs) I was like, that's not an effective use of my time. But I'm like, you know what? I'm basically telling myself that taking care of me and resting is not an effective use of my time when it is. So I'm trying to be intentional about that. And now I'm like, maybe once a week was too much. Maybe once a month is a good goal to start. Take that pressure off off of having to do Mm -hmm. it once a week. And I think that's where I'm starting with. So uh, my next question was going to be, tell me something that you've been passionate about. And is that something like coloring or what's, you know, you have many passions. So is there something recently that you're like, I want to learn more about this? Gosh, that's a really good question. Give me a minute for this one.
0: Something that I have been passionate about. Oh my goodness, you might have stumped me. Um,
1: I mean, I had to in- include the word passion somehow because I am the passionate physio. <laughs>
0: Gosh, God, you had you need to tell me this one question so I could. You know what? For you
1: know what's funny? I was supposed to send you this, and I didn't. So my bad. <laughs> this is the other thing that I'm a very organized person, and um, being a what mom especially a if- form. just add that. Oh, that's such a good idea! Why didn't I think of that? Because <laughs> then I would have thought about it. Oh my! goodness. Oh my gosh! I should have just put that in there because I did put the last question in there, but. Uh I I got that That way I don't have to send you an email after. This is see, this is why we connect. We (laughs) learn so much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, what's your passion? What's your recent passion?
0: So I think something that I mean, and I've always been passionate about this, but I think with with the pandemic and then with being pregnant and transitioning to be becoming a mom. I think the connections that we have with our friends and our family, everything changes. And there have been significant impacts from being able to go in person to, you know, now connecting virtually or through the phone or anything like that. And it's something that I am really trying to make an effort to just like the other day, I just, I called one of my friends just randomly, like out of the blue. And he was like, what? like, I'm sure he was like, why, why are you calling me? It's like,
1: everything okay. Everything's and it's, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so true. And,
0: but, you know, I, I was out for a walk and I was like, I just wonder how my, my friend is doing. And we chatted like the whole time that I was walking. And then like, we hung up and like 15 minutes later, he like texted me and he was like, thanks for just reaching out today. Like, it was really great so to nice. just connect. So I think... I don't know if you want to say rekindling or just putting the emphasis back on some of our social connections that we might have been missing out on because we have these new roles of being a parent and taking care of a kid or multiple kids and, you know, families, depending on what size they are and all this kind of stuff. Like, I think some of those relationships start to kind of fall by the wayside when you don't put the the focus and the, the purpose behind it. So that's something that it's always been a big thing, but going through everything that I've talked about today, I wasn't able to do a lot of that, or at least in the capacity that I wanted to be able to do it. And now I'm trying to like get back to just making sure that I am reaching out to my friends, that I am connecting with them because
1: I know that that is a huge thing for me. I love that. I think it's connections are everything. And I do think that it's isolating in your new mom because you spend so much time yeah. being a mom, <laughs> changing diapers, <laughs> rocking to sleep, all of this stuff. Non-adult conversations. Non-adult conversations. <laughs> and like I remember going out for dinner with a friend and she hadn't had kids yet at the time. And I needed that so badly. And she she didn't. She's like, her life is normal. And I, I was like emotional during the dinner. I was like, I needed this so much, like just to get away, to have an adult conversation, to feel like, oh, I'm still me. I'm not just a mom. Nothing wrong with being just a mom, but, you know, we are also other humans before that. And I love that you've been getting back to that. And I think that now that you're a little bit away from that first few months postpartum, it is easier. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're in the thick of early postpartum. Take that pressure off. It's okay. Your friends will still be there for you in six months. You know, they're not going anywhere. Relationships change. And I think the true friendships um, that are able to stick through, you know, all those transitions will always be there for you. And I think too,
0: sorry, I I always have more to say. You're like, let's just get through these like five questions really quickly. (laughs) But I think too, the the big thing that at least happened for me is that I actually – developed stronger relationships with certain friends that were also pregnant slash having kids around the same time where like not to say that we weren't close beforehand but we now just have this like different bond of like what we've gone through and actually like there there's a girl that I know that she ended up having emergency appendectomy at I think she was 30 or 31 weeks and mine had happened before and she like when she was kind of like going through all 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 her stuff was like could this actually be appendicitis and like advocated that like to the doctors like I don't know I don't know if this is what is happening but it was like some of the similar things and so
1: you know depending
0: on where you kind of are in your life stage like new people or people that maybe you are not even as close with they might pop into your life and you might develop deeper ties to because of the things that you've gone through. So yeah, just something I've kind of
1: reflected on recently. I love that. I, I found it really challenging in my first postpartum experience because all of my closest friends weren't necessarily my still my closest friends, even though I was like, this person should be there for me, you know, even though they don't have kids, but they didn't get it. And I think that there is a different layer when somebody has been through, through it. And I don't I know sometimes people can get get elitist, like, you don't have kids, what do you understand kind of thing, but there is a different – it's different. Running a business with a child is different than running a business without a child. Mm -hmm. Having a child is different in every single way than not having a child, and sometimes it is very validating to be around people who have been through it or been through similar things, and also – be asked questions from people who are going through it now it's validating your own experience too and knowing that like okay my experience matters my story matters and i bet you even people who are listening to this will who've been through anything that's similar to what you've experienced are going to feel feel seen like oh my gosh like someone else has been through this exact same thing and i'm not alone and thank you for sharing everything that you did today where can people find you You can find me at
0: otforlife.com. That's O-T, the number four, L-Y-F-E dot com. And basically there's links to everything there. You can listen to my podcast. You can hang out with me on Instagram. That's where I'm kind of the most active. But if you go to my website, everything is there. And I always have to throw this in because people always ask me, like, why is life spelled with a Y? And super cheesy, but hear me out. It is because <laughs> occupational therapy is the why of life.
1: Oh, I love that. Because people are like, what is occupational therapy? Actually, that's a question that if you have a moment, I would love for you to answer. Because when would a parent feel like, hmm, my child needs early intervention. My, my child needs occupational therapy. Because I know with pediatric physio, we think of things like torticollis or – um, you know, difficulty maybe crawling or walking, but there's so much overlap. And mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So,
0: why don't I start? And again, I'll try to be like super brief. And if people have further questions or anything that they want me to elaborate on, I, I will, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief because I know we're at the end here. Um, but basically, let me explain a little bit about occupational therapy in general. And then I can kind of talk about specifically my role as an OT in early intervention. So, Occupational therapy, when you break down the word uh, occupational, occupations, a lot of people automatically they assume your occupation is your job, which that is partially true, but there's a whole lot more to it. When it comes down to occupations, it is what whatever that you do within your life that brings meaning and purpose to it that occupies your time. So yes, this could be a job. This could be being a parent. This could be your hobbies, your leisure. This could be your self-care. This could be dressing, bathing, eating, anything that you do within your day-to-day life that, that adds a value and purpose and meaning. That is what we would call an occupation. And Basically, as an occupational therapist, we, uh, as the profession, we are experts at studying the how and why people, uh, these activities bring purpose to people's lives. And so a lot of times, and this is kind of globally speaking, because OTs can work from birth to death. So across the lifespan, things can happen that can interfere with these occupations. So whether it is maybe a stroke, uh, maybe it's a hip or a knee replacement, Uh, maybe it's a traumatic brain injury, uh, anything like that, old age, some of the things that happen as we age, as we get older. And then also when we're kind of thinking about the, the little ones and the kids, a lot of times they might not have developed these skills to be able to engage and participate in their occupations. So that's kind of where we come in to help people either get back to or learn to do the things that they that bring meaning and value and purpose to their lives. So that there is a lot especially in early intervention with the little ones there is a lot of overlap between what we do as occupational therapists and what physical therapists will do. But a lot of it it just it boils down to the mindset of really focusing on the child's occupations and what they might be having difficulty doing. Are they are they having difficulty with mealtime and feeding themselves? Are they having difficulty sitting and attending to reading a book or participating with a puzzle or doing some sort of game with the family? Uh, you, you name it, right? Sleep or anything like that. These occupations, that's where we start with. And then we kind of break it down into what is actually causing those difficulties mm. or trying to investigate what is kind of underlying what is going on here. And so again, for me as an OT working in early intervention, it boils down to the occupations of the family and the child, because when the child is so young, there's so many of these kind of like co-occupations between parents and children. And and really like how we best can support the children and their families, caregivers, extended families, whoever is involved in their care, and making sure that we can either help foster the skills and help them develop the skills or help them adapt in ways that you know maybe they won't ever learn those skills or maybe there's some sort of limitation in order to get them to be able to participate in whatever the occupations that are meaningful for that child and for that family. And I think the big thing with the work that I do if if you happen to be listening to this right now, and maybe you have concerns about your your own child, or maybe maybe a, a family or a friend, or you know you, they, you, there's something there's somebody in your life that you think they might benefit from early intervention services, occupational therapy services. I think the big thing that I like to say is don't don't necessarily think about the label. Think about providing supports as early on as you possibly can in hopes that you can help that child and their family basically live the best life that they possibly can. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck of like, well, I don't want my kid to have a label and I don't want this to follow them through the rest of their life. But... (sighs) there's so much growth. There's so much learning that happens so early on. And there's so many things that just a little bit of education, a little bit of adapting, a little bit here. I mean, you know this, like in your work Mm -hmm. that you do, catching a mom when they are pregnant, even getting like before they become pregnant and the impact that you can have postpartum on that, the earlier that you can start, the better. So and that's
1: totally my like little (laughs) caveat. I love that. (laughs) I learned, I just learned so much about your occupation, occupational therapy, (laughs) because I've never had it explained like that. And I think that that's incredible. So it's true. I think sometimes there's a stigma against getting help because you feel like you're um, labeling your child or, you know, you're being limited, but it sounds like it's actually going to open so many more doors for you and opportunities and make your life easier uh, the quality of life easier. And I I agree. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. People don't even know how I can help them until they get my help and they're like, wow, no. I didn't know <laughs> I could stop peeing my pants. Yeah. I didn't know that it was actually easy to lift up my kid. And like, it doesn't take months to figure that out. I just literally in one day will sh- give them strategies and somehow they are much better, right? And this is all done online. So I feel like it's the power in your job, your profession is huge. And I think that the work that you do online is also huge, bringing occupational therapists together to create a bigger voice because I think that that doesn't exist anywhere. And I think there's so much education that you're doing uh, and empowerment to other occupational therapists too. My last question to you, Sarah, is what would you say is your mom's strength? (laughs) (laughs) So I laugh because
0: I feel like I feel like this is my strength, but I also feel like it's totally like my kryptonite, too. <laughs> and I honestly, I think it is my my therapy brain. It is my professional lens that I'm able to apply to every situation and anything that's happening. I I, I think it's a strength because I, I can read situations with my daughter. I can see things happening before they even happen. I can identify things like, you know, very early on, I'm like, oh, she seems to be really preferring to turn to the right. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's start working on making sure that she's turning her head both directions. And I think, you know, if I hadn't have identified that, it could have led to some bigger things and and harder things to kind of change further down the Later road. On.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's it's a blessing and a curse but i'm going to go with the blessings right i i think and you maximize the blessing right and i think that it's like the with great power comes great responsibility you're like <laughs> you know you have all this available to you and then it's you're using it to uh, make your life easier but also it's a balance because i feel the same way it's like i knew so much but it, it's like i would overthink certain things and i'm like just let it be Just let it be. And one thing that I've learned is that every child is so different, even though we know what a generalized movement, you know, how they start moving, how they start crawling. Every child is different. And my first was like anti-textbook. And my second is like textbook. (laughs) And so if I had had him first, I would have expected that with my second. But because I didn't have him first, I was like, ah, oh, this time around I'm laid back. Whatever happens, happens. And he's like literally like a textbook. And he's very early in movement. And for me, who's like a movement professional, my daughter started crawling later. She hated tummy time till nine months. And I'm when I say hate, like I tried all the tricks. It wasn't like I didn't try. But like lasted few seconds and like just yell, just angry. She's like, get me out of here. How dare you? And that's her personality, right? She's just strong-willed and will only do things when she's ready. So I think for all you listeners, if you don't have a therapy brain, you have your own mom strengths. And I think that you need to maximize on that because each of us is so unique and we that's why the world is incredible. We're all different people because we bring our own strengths to the mix and we raise our kids with our strengths. Um, so rather than focusing on all the things that you might not be good at, focus on that. <laughs> awesome! Thank you so much, Sarah, for spending your time with us today. I'm so grateful to have met you, to have connected with you, to have worked with you, and to continue learning from you. For all of our listeners out here, please, you know, like, subscribe, and sh- leave a comment for uh, on my podcast, Mom Strength, and. If this episode was beneficial for you, please share this with a pregnant or postpartum or mom or friend in your life that would also benefit from listening to it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links and we'll chat again